0: Andy, what have you been up to lately?
1: Hey, Lily. Well, let's see. I've been on some video calls. Then I went on some more video calls. Oh, and then I made a cup of tea and went on some more video calls.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that basically sounds like my day too. Apparently, 20% of the world's population is on lockdown at the moment, and things have changed drastically for so many people and businesses.
1: And that's why discovery is going to be such an important process for everyone right now. So we decided to ask Teresa Torres, Discovery Coach, to come back on, she's our first repeat guest, and chat to us about how we can all continue to do discovery in these challenging times.
0: So without further ado, let's all stay socially distant and listen to our chat with Teresa.
1: The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Every week we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we improve our practice.
0: Aside from conferences in London, San Francisco, Singapore, Hamburg and Manchester, there's also free product tanks in more than 185 cities and there's probably one near you.
1: Find out about them on mindtheproduct.com where you can also catch up on past episodes, videos from the conferences, read great articles and learn about the training that we do.
0: Hi, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, For anyone who hasn't listened to our previous episode featuring your very uh, lovely (laughs) self, um, could you give us a really quick intro into
2: who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Teresa Torres, I'm a product discovery coach, Um, I blog at producttalk.org, which is where most people kind of come across me at some point in their product career. I work with teams around the world. I have a 12-week coaching program where I teach them how to adopt good continuous discovery habits. So that includes a regular cadence of customer interviews, um, regular cadence of rapid prototyping and quick experiments, all in service of how do we quickly make decisions about the best path to driving product outcomes. Awesome. Thank you. And before we go into how you kind of
0: maybe would want to adapt customer discovery processes for the current state of the world. Um, Give us a quick kind of like overview of what does good customer discovery look like?
2: Yeah, this is a great question. So um, I teach a really outcome focused form of discovery where I assume that a product team is um, starting with what's an outcome they're trying to drive. So that could be usually it's a product metric, something like increasing engagement, increasing retention, maybe reducing churn if you're a subscription business. And it's really looking at like, what, are, how do we discover the customer needs, pain points, desires that if we addressed them would drive that outcome? And so there's two primary parts to that. How do we discover those needs? And then how do we discover the solutions that will drive those needs? And I teach a mix of methods, whether there's generative interviewing to discover needs, um, and then also how to surface underlying assumptions behind ideas and then how to rapidly test those assumptions with prototype testing and with live product experiments. And the key, I think, is to really do that in a continuous way rather than this project mindset where we tend to kick off a project with a bunch of research and then move on to building, but how do we develop this continuous cadence um, and I think in this conversation, we're going to talk a lot about why like, continuous matters because the world changed rapidly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Things don't, uh, we usually make the assumption in the project mindset that we learned everything. We're ready to go through a stage gate. And no matter what happened, we're work on the same assumptions. But things have obviously pushed us this time.
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I think, I think what teams are facing right now is what they learned last week and the week before and the week before aren't as true or as important today as they are as they are now. And I think um, it can feel really overwhelming, but I actually think what we're experiencing is a really extreme case for why continuous discovery matters so much. It's not every day that we're going to see a global pandemic, so this is definitely an outlier. I mean, I, I, a lot of people are referring to it as a black swan event, and I think it might be the black swan of black swan events. <laughs> um, although Bill Gates might argue otherwise. He kind of predicted this five years ago um so i think um really here's the thing an event like this could happen at any time and i don't necessarily mean a global pandemic but for your own product team um a new player could enter the market that completely disrupts everything about your business um uh, a new uh technology could come out that completely disrupts the way your customers think about what you're doing for them. So yes, we the world is all going through this collectively at the same time, and it's pretty extreme, but most product teams are gonna face events like this, um, disruptive events at any moment. And I think that's actually one of the strongest arguments for why we need to keep a continuous connection to our customers.
1: So usually when those events happen, it, it affects an industry or a company, a dominant company or two. It doesn't affect everyone all at once are there certain activities that people should be doing? I mean, a lot of times when we do discovery, we're not, uh, for example, ripping up our, or re-questioning every assumption in all of our personas, or or having to redo a complete market analysis at the same time. Um, What's, where do we start today?
2: Yeah. Okay. I want to break this down into components. There's, there's so many parts to like what has changed about the world and what does that mean for discovery? So first of all, as a team, as a product team, our own world has been disrupted. We're probably working from home. If we're not normally a remote team, we're dealing with the challenges of working from home. Building a shared understanding as a team got a lot harder. Um, You're probably, if you have kids at home, your ability to focus and and do work for any meaningful period of time has been disrupted. So there's that set of challenges that we can dive into. Then there's what's happening for, for your customers, right? And so depending on who your customers are, that's gonna look really differently. If your customers are hotels and airlines, you're in a world of hurt and your business is probably struggling for survival and your customers are certainly struggling for survival. And unfortunately we are gonna see industries wiped out by this pandemic. Um, I read an article about a movie theater owner who can't pay his rent and it's great that he's getting um, like a paycheck protection loan um, from the government and he can pay his employees but he can't pay his rent. And if he can't pay his rent for four months, he's going to come back to work $200,000 in debt. And even when he reopens, it's not like we're all going to flock to the movie theaters. And we might have to face that movie theaters are done, right? Like we all have home theaters. This might be an event that kills that industry. And that's devastating for all the people involved, but that's the reality we're facing, right? So for each team, when we're talking about discovery, we need to really look at Is this an existential crisis for our customers? And if so, what does that mean for our business? So there's that piece. Thankfully for most of us, that's not what's happening, right? What's happening is the economy just did a major contraction. It's going to continue to do a major contraction. And we need to take stock and say, what does this mean for what's on our roadmap? What does it mean for our customers and how their behaviors are changing? And what does it mean for the most important needs that we need to be addressing right now? And for the vast majority of us, it's really a prioritization question of, do we need to reprioritize what are the most important needs? And then there's a whole bunch of tactical things we need to change because we're doing discovery remote and we're doing discovery during a crisis. Um, And I feel like all four of those things are really different and they each have their own set of challenges.
0: I'm still reeling slightly from the fact that I might (laughs) never be able to go to the cinema ever again. (laughs)
2: Hopefully I'm wrong, right? Hopefully everyone.
0: So, okay, so let's, um, if we go to the first one then, which is your, you know, the world of working with your product team um, and trying to, I guess, rediscover the way that you're going to work together. um, What would you do in that situation? What would you recommend in that situation? Is it a case of using all of the discovery techniques that you currently use and just sort of discovering how to work together again?
2: Yeah, so... Fortunately, of the four, I think this is the easy one. I don't want to trivialize working at home with little kids because that is not easy. But it, as, and um, especially if you're a single parent working at home with kids, like um, by all means, just survive, <laughs> right? Like your product yeah. team can is gonna have to help you. Um, but I think uh, we have had we have 100% remote companies, and we've had 100% remote companies that are successful. We have the tools to work remotely. Um, Digital whiteboards like Miro and Mural are fantastic. Um, Google Docs, a simple tool like Google Docs is fantastic. Um, Slack and Microsoft Teams is helping us stay connected. Zoom and other video conferencing calls are helping us stay connected. I feel like um, that's the easiest of the four, and that doesn't mean it's easy, right? So it just means as a team, we need to quickly develop norms for how we're going to work virtually. And we're for most of us, we're three weeks in at the time that we're recording this. And I think teams are figuring that out. I know the teams that I work with, a lot of them are working from home for the first time. And they're already adjusting. Even the ones with little kids at home is they're starting to find that cadence. So mm. I actually think this is maybe not the most important area to focus on, but it, um, Lily, exactly what you said is right. Is how do we take a discovery mindset and apply it to the way that we work together? How do we experiment as a team? How do we evaluate what's working? How do we course correct? And that we got to take a continuous improvement mindset from that. Um, I know for me in week one, I worked by myself and I was, and I don't have kids and I was not productive in week one. I was distracted by the news literally every hour. Um, I was emotionally overwhelmed by what was happening in the world and I was not able to do anything. And I just had to accept that that's the new reality. By week two, I got a little better at not reading the news every hour and carving out dedicated times to work. And by week three, I was maybe at 60% capacity. And now we're in week four and I cannot say things are normal. I'm trying to write a book and it is painful right now because my ability to focus is still really low, but it's getting better, right? And I think it's this continuous improvement mindset that we're gonna live over and over again in this crisis is how do we make next week look better than last week? And from a team norm standpoint, that's all we can do.
1: And I think just like everything else that we do, it's also accepting that next week may not be better, but the mm-hmm. long-term trend will be.
2: That's an awesome thing to highlight. Because, yes, next week we might get horrible news and get totally distracted, and your kid might no longer be able to sit and do school on the computer because who has the ability to do that at six years old? Um, like this is just our reality. And I've, I, you know, it's also really human. Like I've been on so many video calls where literally their kid is sitting in their lap and we all know what it's like to talk to a parent when the kid's present, present, like every three words you're interrupted. Right. And the fact that that's part of our business life now, it makes me smile a little bit. Like I, my heart goes out to the parent. So I'm not trying to trivialize this, but it's also really human. Like we're having this shared experience of, it's like everybody in the world is experiencing what that BBC interview went through where the kids walked in the door on live TV. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I I you know what it's we're having to bring our whole selves to work and I think only good is going to come of that.
0: Okay. So moving on to the the next, I guess, couple of um of points that you made. How do we so with continuous customer discovery, um obviously customer discovery is a massive topic um and and user research and everything how have you seen companies kind of adapt over the last few weeks or or change the way that they're working so that they're maintaining this continuous flow but in a, you know, in this situation or is it a case of like, okay, stop, um, reset, start again in a few weeks when we've got our heads together?
2: Yeah, um, so uh, everybody needs to do what is feasible given their current context but i will say i strongly recommend not stopping and there's this philosophy of going from zero to one is really hard going from one to two is much easier right so the degree that a team can maintain their habits the better off they're going to be in the long run now i know that every team even in the regular world has a week where they just can't do anything. And if the last three weeks were that, you're not screwed. You can still make next week better than last week, right? So, again, it's easy to talk about continuous improvement, but it really is a mindset that we need to apply in everything. Um, so, for me, discovery starts with regular engagement with your customer, and I really encourage teams to talk to customers at least once a week. Um, so, what does that look like in a world where everybody's working from home? It really depends on your customer base. So, I'm hearing two different sides to the same coin. Some teams, their customers are impossible to get a hold of right now. And they're just, their discovery is ground to a halt. Uh, Some teams are assuming that's the case and that's not true for everybody. In fact, I would say most of the teams that I'm engaging with, they're actually finding it easier to talk to their customers. So let's, I want to break down why you might fall into one camp or the other. Please. So if you work with healthcare providers, Your customers are (laughs) doctors and nurses. It probably got really hard for you to talk to them. But I will say not in all cases. I have two really good friends that are nurses. One is a respiratory nurse. Her life just got completely disrupted. She is quarantining. She's not talking to a single. She's not seeing another human being in person. She has zero free time. Um, She needs a lot of emotional support, but she does not have time for anything that is not literally saving our patients' lives. I have another friend who is an emergency room nurse and you would think she was overwhelmed that we live in Oregon. Our hospitals are not overwhelmed. So if you live in London or New York, it may be different. She says emergency rooms are empty. Nobody wants to come to the hospital because they're afraid of getting COVID. And they sit around doing nothing. Guess what? She has time to do a discovery call. She's sitting around doing nothing. So even in an industry that is heavily impacted by this, there are going to be some people who have zero time and there's going to be some people who have plenty of time. And so the discovery team's job is to figure out who are the people that have time. And that's going to take experimentation. It's going to take trial and error. Um, I have another company where their customers are largely airlines and retailers. Okay. These are two industries that are in complete upheaval and disarray. And the, if you reach out to a customer, the last thing they're going to care about is your discovery interview. However, they're getting interviews by reaching out to people that were just laid off and that is really depressing right and when we do that we have to be really human and acknowledge that they went through and that their lives are disrupted and have empathy for them but they also have a lot of free time
1: right is the is the interview that you're doing with people who are you're 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 getting to people who you have the opportunity to talk to right now, which might skew the results because you're not getting the, the other people who aren't available, but also is what they're telling you right now while things are so changeable relevant or going to be relevant for a period of time for, for in the longer term.
2: Yeah. So this is the other question is like, is the content of what we're learning in a crisis relevant beyond the crisis? um i think we need to be really thoughtful about this i don't have all the answers it turns out i've never lived through a global pandemic and i don't know (laughs) what we learn now is going to persist with time right so i think the first thing to be aware of is the emotional piece right every human on earth i like want to tear up even thinking about it right now is like it just is overwhelmed with emotion right like the world is experiencing a really hard moment we have a ton of uncertainty Every single business is facing an existential crisis. Am I going to survive this? No matter what industry you're in, um, every employee is facing this question of, am I going to be employed? Am I going to make it through this? So every single person that we talk to in our discovery is going to be going through that emotion. And we need to have empathy for that. And, And like at a bare minimum, forget what you need to learn. You just need to be human and be present with that other person. Right? So that's the first thing. And hopefully that goes without say, but it's, I know, it's really easy to get task oriented and forget those things. Mm-hmm. So then the second thing is, okay, so what are we learning? Um, I actually think it's really critical that we stop, that we look at our roadmap and just p- put pause for a minute and say, look, the, a lot has changed in the world. Our priorities probably need to change. And as you're talking to customers, you need to listen for are the opportunities that you're working on the most important problems to be solving. So, if you're in healthcare and you're not working on this testing problem, or you're not working on um, um, the PPE, the personal protective equipment problem, or you're not working on um, the hospital financial crisis problem, or you're not working on um,
1: how to uh, keep people like sane or whatever. Helping,
2: yeah. Yeah, like the emotional support for healthcare practitioners, you're probably working on the wrong problem. And that's just reality. Like, I worked with a company that did like badging like that allows nurses and doctors to badge into a workstation. Okay, that problem still exists today. In fact, it's probably a, It's probably causing a pain point when they're charting on so many patients at once and they're dealing with these really archaic, how do I log in to a system? Um, like they sh- that company should be trying to make that as frictionless as possible because that's the last thing a healthcare provider should be thinking about right now, right? Mm. So that the thing to think about is, Our needs as humans don't change radically even in a crisis, right? Like we're still the same humans where we we were three months ago. We're going to be the same humans six months from now. So we still have the same sort of emotional needs. We still have the same like we're trying to do a job and there's process friction. So your opportunity space, like you might be adding new opportunities, but your opportunity space didn't radically shift. Mm -hmm. What probably radically shifted is which opportunity is most important right now um then there's the second piece of it i teach my teams um what's the part of discovery that's going to stay stable over time like what's the learnings what's the learning what what do we learn from customers that we don't have to worry about like relearning over and over again versus what's the part that could be disrupted at any moment and this is where i think having some sense of like what's human psychology versus what's human behavior that's being driven by technology can help so like Human psychology is probably not rapidly changing right now. Like our brains still work the same way. We still need the same social connections we've always needed. But the like tactics and the technology and the behaviors are changing rapidly. So in your discovery, you can just you can listen for the differences between those two things. So and then the other thing to know is that in a crisis, things get dialed up. Right. So we're going to see emotion at a much stronger level. We're going to see friction at a much stronger level. We're going to see urgency at a much stronger level. But this like core human stuff is probably not changing. What's changing is the tactics and the how and the immediacy. So
0: if you're if you're not working on one of the more immediate, I guess, needs of um, that that have come from the, the whole coronavirus crisis, How then do you look at your roadmap and your strategy? And do you kind of just ride the blip and hope that you come out the other end with the same
2: sort of world or and, you know, the same sort of long term vision? Yeah. So I think the first thing is um, every team, if they're focused on the outcome, needs to ask, is that the most important outcome? So it's even higher than the opportunities. Right. Like I'm focused on retention maybe retention just got way more urgent because customers had lost the ability to pay. So my outcome still matters, but the opportunity space shifted. We probably always had customers who didn't have the ability to pay and that was part of the retention problem. So it's not necessarily a new opportunity, but the size of that opportunity just shifted and the importance of that opportunity just shifted. Now, maybe I'm um, working on engagement and engagement is important in the long run, but it's not important. As important right now, I'm seeing this in my own business. So I'm a coach. I do training mm-hmm. for a living. And we're mm-hmm. seeing that most companies are pulling back on training. It's not urgent. Um, they're concerned about cash flow. Right. And I could, as a consultant, scurry and start advertising things and promote things and, and pitch people and, and hustle and find business. But I actually don't think that's good for my customers. And I don't think it's good for me. Right. Like, I think what's most important right now is how can I support teams in this shift to, to to remote discovery. In fact, it's why I'm doing this interview. Like I'm writing a book right now and I'm not saying no to all podcasts, but I know that this is an urgent need and I wanna help, right? So for me, um, it's normally in my business, I'm hustling to sell and I'm hustling to grow my customer base and I'm hustling to grow my market base. I'm not doing that right now. I don't think that's the most important thing. The most important thing for me right now is to support the people that I'm already connected to and to be a resource as they try to make this shift. And six months from now, or 18 months from now, however long this takes, I, I can go back to that. How do I grow? Um, and if I'm in a position where fortunately I can make that decision in my business. I'm not gonna go out of business in the next 18 months. Um, and I know not all businesses are there, but I think that question of like, how do we take a step back and say, okay, last week, my most important goal was growing um, my audience. This week, my most important goal is supporting the audience that I have. Um, And every business has a version of that. And I think that's where the priority comes in. Your current customers are more important than new customers right now. That's probably true in every business.
1: So, Teresa, uh, there's a a lot of these companies, a lot of us have worked uh, face-to-face with customers. We've worked face-to-face with and co-located with our teams. And... There are a lot of techniques that are just not currently available to us. So how do you do Obviously, we can get on calls with customers when available and with prospective customers, but we can't do things like shadow people and see the environment, the physical environment they're in and find out the things they're not telling us by, you know, seeing what tabs are open on their screen and things like that. How do you... Start approaching it. What are the t- what's the best way for a team to get started in moving towards this remote mindset?
2: Yeah. So first of all, lots of teams have been working remote before COVID, so we have really good tools for this. I mean, I know plenty of teams that were already doing hundred percent of their discovery remote. Mm-hmm. Um, video conferencing has gotten really good. Um, if you can see somebody's face, you're catching most of their body language. You're you're not losing a lot by going from in person. To video. I know that's controversial. I talk to people that swear by in-person. Most teams can't do in-person every week. And they weren't, they were already doing video calls to, to get to that weekly cadence. So we can do that. Um, uh, Randy, you talked about we can't see their workspace. We can see their workspace. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a FaceTime call where someone just takes their camera and gives, I just took a tour of a friend's new house over FaceTime. Right? It's awkward. It's not the same as being there in person, but it 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 gets there. Sing tabs in a browser, we can ask our interviewee to share their screen. So no, it's not the same as showing up to their office and getting to look around and talking about the books on their bookshelves. But we can simulate a lot of this with our virtual tools. And thankfully COVID happened when in a time where we already had companies that were remote and we already had all these tools developed. Right. If this happened 10 years ago, discovery would have been a lot harder. But we have awesome digital whiteboards. We have awesome video conferencing. We have awesome collaborative tools. um, And I think that makes it a lot easier. And here's the other thing. I am working with so many teams that are telling me it's never been easier to get interviews. And here's why. Everybody is working from home and craving social connection. Mm -hmm. And it turns out a customer interview is social connection. So for a lot of teams, it's actually gotten easier to do interviews. Now, that's, I'm going to say that with the caveat of what we talked about earlier. If you have an audience that's particularly impacted, we need to be sensitive to that. And please do not hound healthcare workers to do interviews with you. Um, they're more busy. They have more important problems right now. Um, but I, a lot of teams, um, it's actually getting easier for them to do a lot of this stuff.
1: What about if you're working on physical products? Software is one thing; it's easy to get people to to, to get people share their screens and to uh, to do flows and various kinds of things. But if to see how people actually use something in the environment and all the steps they take before they engage with it and all the all those kinds of things, is it possible to do that kind of discovery?
2: Yeah, I think it depends. So if they already have the physical product, we can do a lot through video. Show me what you're doing. Um, if it's a new product and they don't have it on hand, I know some teams that literally are mailing products to people, like mailing prototypes to people. Mm-hmm. It's actually, that's it's obviously slow and it's expensive and it may not be the most important thing for you to do right now. So every team has to kind of make those priority decisions based on what's critical. And actually another, we talked about prioritizing opportunities differently, um, given the constraints we're working in, you might have to prioritize which assumptions to test differently, right? Mm. So one assumption that a month ago was really easy to test that might be way harder to test. Now you might put on it till you test some of the easier assumptions, right? Mm. So um, if you're working on physical products and you literally need to see someone using it in person, you might have to test different assumptions first. Um, you know, A lot of what we're talking about is just how do we manage, given the constraints we're working with. We've always had to manage discovery based on the constraints we're working with. What we're facing now is those constraints change suddenly. But the work to work within those constraints is still the same, right? It's how do you prioritize? How do you experiment? How do you keep trying until you find something that works?
0: And I guess it would be um, the other thing that we need to do is just understand how the environment and everything that's going on in everyone's lives is affecting the output of that discovery so yeah um, i think we were saying earlier how you know you might end up kind of uh getting a particular answer or something in this moment which actually you wouldn't necessarily have got a month before or potentially might not get a month later
2: yeah. And this is a real concern. And again, I don't have all the answers because I have not lived through this before. Um, but I think every team needs to be really cognizant of what are we learning? Is what we're learning a reflection of this moment in time? Is it going to persist past this moment in time? That movie theater owner I referred to, they're gonna per- their concerns are going to persist past this moment in time. They're acquiring a lot of debt. They have a low margin business. That problem is not going to ba- go away when we come back to work. It's going to be there. It's a real long-term problem, right? Um, for some of our other businesses, we're going to go back to work and things are going to mostly return to normal, probably with mm. some, some shifts, right? So, I, you know, it's funny. I feel like what's making a lot of people uncomfortable, I mean, aside from like the tragedy of all of this, I'm not trying to trivialize that, but a lot of what's making a lot of product teams uncomfortable with discovery right now is that uncertainty is in our face. I, can I really believe what this person is telling me? Is this going to persist beyond time here's the thing that uncertainty has always been there it's always been there it's mm. dialed up right now, right It's dialed up to eleven um but it's it's always been there, and we always like in our discovery, we always should leave room for doubt that what we learned last week is no longer true this week, and it's hard to balance that like when I tell people that they go, well, Teresa, how am I supposed to make a decision based on that? Um, There's a really awesome academic paper by this guy, Carl Weck. He's a psychologist at University of Michigan, and he talks about wisdom. And he talks about wisdom framed as um, having confidence in what you know so that you can act, but balancing that with doubt that you might be wrong. And I actually think that's an amazing definition of wisdom because it applies to discovery. Like we're going to constantly be engaging with our customers. We're going to build confidence in our in our in our target opportunity and the solutions that we're exploring. Um, but we always need to leave room for doubt that things are going to change, that it might not be the right opportunity, that it might not be the right solution. And that uncertainty is always there. It's always there, which is why continuous discovery is so important. Right now, it's there at a much larger magnitude, which just means that we need to be. Um, I love this phrase, strong opinions held loosely because I feel like that's the work of a product team. We have to have a strong enough opinion to put a product in the world, but we need to hold it loosely because that product can stop working at any moment in time.
1: So uh, you talked a bit there about the product team doing discovery. And I know this is something that you've uh, hit on before that it's not just a product manager or a product manager and a researcher getting involved in discovery. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what that team dynamic should be? And also in this opportunity, in in this period of time, is there an opportunity to get more people from across the business to get sales, to get marketing, to get support, to get people who aren't necessarily able to do their day job involved in the discovery activities, too?
2: Yeah. So in an ideal world, I want to see a product manager, a designer and an engineer interviewing together. It's because what we hear in an interview is influenced by our prior knowledge and experience. And all three of those roles brings different knowledge and experience and you're gonna get more out of your interview if all three roles are hearing the interview. So that's the first thing. Now, in a world where we're all co-located and we can put something on the calendar and we know where we're gonna be on Thursday at 11 o'clock, that's easy to do. In a world where on Thursday at 11 o'clock your kid might have a meltdown and you can't attend the interview, it's a lot harder to do. Um, So what I'm telling the teams that I'm working with is look, If only one of you can do the interview this week, just record it. Then you still get the benefit of the other two hearing it. Here's what we want to avoid. I don't want one person on the team to be the voice of the customer. It gives that one person way too much power. Um, If Lily did all the interviews and Lily thinks we should build Solution A and I don't like Solution A, I can't really argue with Lily about it because Lily's gonna say this is what customers want. So now we're not leveraging all three of our knowledge and expertise we're leveraging the knowledge and expertise of the one person who engaged with customers. Um, So obviously getting everybody to interview together just got harder because our schedules got more unpredictable. Our customers' schedules probably got less flexible, in some cases more flexible because they're working from home. Um, And so we might have to be a little more adaptive, but I think we can still share the source material, whether that's a transcript or the audio of the interview with as many people as possible. And then, Randy, I think what I heard in your question, too, was, is there an opportunity, like, if our salespeople aren't out meeting with customers, do they have time to participate in discovery with us? I, here's the balance in discovery. The more perspectives you can include, the more you're going to learn. But you're also going to slow down your decision making. So every mm. team has to find the right balance of what are the perspectives we need, given what we're trying to learn, but how do we keep the group small enough that we can still move fast? So in the product world, we talk about product trios, and I feel like product trios are the minimum, like the product manager, the designer, and the engineer. Like That's the minimum set of, of cr- cross-functional roles that we want represented. You could add to that. You could add a user researcher. You could add a product marketer. You could add a salesperson. But the bigger that team grows, the slower they're going to move.
1: Yeah, that, that goes back to the question of what's the problem that you're trying to solve by getting them involved? And, and a lot of the companies and teams I've worked with there's been a problem between the different uh, silos with between different functions. So yep. I was looking at this from the opportunity of let's get that, uh, take this as an opportunity to create a better conversation by getting them involved and, and fixing that issue. But I totally see what you're saying about uh, slowing down decision velocity. Yeah. And here's the thing. So
2: regardless of who's in that trio doing the discovery, the discovery team is responsible for sharing what they're learning across the organization. And, I think that's often overlooked, right? So I worked with a team where they did amazing discovery. They designed this really innovative solution to a hard problem in their industry, and then they started talking to their sales team about it. And they were like, "This is so different from what we're familiar with. We don't want to sell it." And they realized pretty quickly, like, "Oh, we need to be bringing our sales team along so that they understand." why Mm. we're doing something different and innovative and they course corrected and now their sales team is selling it and it's actually doing really well. Like they built a really good product, but you can build a great product. And if your sales team doesn't understand it and doesn't want to sell it, Mm. it's not going to be a great product, right? So I, there's two parts to this, who needs to be involved in the discovery and the decision-making and then who needs to be informed and brought along in the journey.
1: And is bringing them into discovery going to be part of bringing them on the journey? Totally get yep. it, makes sense. Yep. Marty Kagan did a, an article yesterday, I think it was, on uh, Silicon Valley uh, about uh, his take on remote discovery, and he had this one line in it that I I'm not sure how to take it, and I wanted to, to throw it to you. So I'll say it this sure. way, and if you want me, to, if you want to answer it, I'll say it in a slightly better way. Um, he said during discovery, the main artifact right now should be prototypes. Yeah, I read the article.
2: Yeah. Is that something?
1: Do you want to have this conversation or should we just... Oh, I, will, I will gladly
2: have this conversation.
1: Okay, <laughs> then me, fantastic. okay, then let me ask the question again to, in a decent way. Um, So, Teresa, as we're recording this, an article uh, got posted yesterday by Marty Kagan, and we all love Marty and Marty's brilliant and wonderful, and we'll take that as read. But there was a line in it that, I wanted to throw by you and just get your reaction. And he said, uh, during this period where we're all remote, uh, the main artifact of the process should be prototypes. And I'm just curious to get your take on that.
2: Yeah, okay. So a lot of people frame discovery starting with a solution. And in that article, Marty did the same thing, even though I know he thinks broader than this. So he talked. He framed it as, um, I have an idea. Is this the right thing to build? That is a discovery question, but it's not the only discovery question. So when we're talking about discovering solutions, I agree 100% with Marty that your primary artifacts should be prototypes. Prototypes that test specific assumptions so that you can move rapidly and run multiple experiments during the week. However, we also have to discover customer needs, customer pain points, customer desires, what I refer to as opportunities. And this is often left out of the discovery conversation. And prototypes are not the right deliverable for discovering opportunities, right? This is where customer journey maps, story mapping, even, even though story mapping is often in the solution space, it still can be really helpful when it's trying to understand an opportunity. Um, I I like to use opportunity solution trees. Other people like impact maps. Um, It's what I think is an important artifact in the discovery world is what are the visuals that we're sharing that allow our team to align around what we know and effectively communicate it to the rest of the organization. Prototypes are that for solutions. Here's what we think we should build, and we're communicating it in an interactive, tangible way. But it's only half of the discovery equation.
0: Teresa, it's been amazing having you on the podcast again. Thank you so much for taking time out of your book writing to join us, and we're definitely looking forward to the book.
2: Ah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me again.
1: Pashroom!
0: Uh, are you all right over there, Randy?
1: Yep. That was just the sound of my mind being blown. I mean, we kind of knew all that, but Teresa just says it all so well.
0: Which is exactly why we had her on. Until next time, stay safe, be well, like, subscribe, and wash those hands.
1: And send us pictures of your banana bread.
0: <laughs> the product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Our hosts are me, that's Lily Smith, and Randy Silva.
1: Emily Tate is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Emily is ours alone, but we're happy to share Luke if you need someone to edit your own podcast.
0: Hey, you can't share him too much. He's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band PAU, that's P-A-U, thanks to Arne Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use the music.
1: And sign up for your local Product Tank, a regular meetup in over 185 cities worldwide. There's probably one someone near you. And if there's not, you can start one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. Here's global coordinator Mark Ibrahim to tell you more about it. Product tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven
2: by and for product managers. Whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips.